I wonder how many of you when you were children um, heard the expression said to you, keep your eye on the ball. You're learning to bat either in baseball or softball, right? Most of us have heard that expression. This idea that there's this correlation between what we intently look on and what we are going to hit or what we're going to do. In fact, a corollary of it apparently came out of World War II called target fixation. It was the idea that if you focus on something, even if you don't intend to hit it, you're going to hit it. Like if it's something in the road and you look at it, instead of trying to figure out how you're going to get away, you'll hit it. Apparently there was uh, some of the aircraft doing these um, strafing runs where they were looking at something and they ended up hitting it instead of just bombing it or whatever, but target fixation. And I think that same expression, keep your eye on the ball, we've heard in other contexts like in business and what we're doing about keeping your focus on what you're trying to accomplish and not losing that or whatever it is. And uh, focus matters, right? It matters in our mental life as well. I can remember many years ago, some of y'all have heard me tell this story. I was leading an organization where some of, some of the people in the organization were starting to whine about how hard things were. And I went and met with my mentor at the time and, uh, and told him what was going on and was seeking his advice. And he, he said to me, you've got, a, you've got a lack of vision going on. He said, and he gave me this analogy. He said, you're like the guy leading a backpacking trip and you've got all these people that you're leading and y'all are just hiking along with these really heavy backpacks set on your back and you haven't told them where you're going. And so they're all going like, oh, that's starting to hurt right there. And this thing on the hips is hurting. And he said, if you'll stop and say, do y'all see that hill? We're going to make camp tonight at that hill. That's all we're trying to get to. He said, they'll stop complaining. They know where they're going. They're focused on that. They're not focused on this. They're going to go. Our focus matters. And today... St. Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, in part is talking about that. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at what he's saying about our focus and along with it, a few other things that go with it. The beginning place of this, though, in this letter is as Paul writes to them and he writes essentially writing to us. He began by talking about this notion, this Christian understanding that goes back to the very earliest times in the church. That there's a very real sense in which we die to ourselves in the waters of baptism and that we're raised to a new life after that. And um, sadly, when we do baptismal fonts, we sometimes miss the symbolism of it. Um, you know, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters often use little fonts like we do. But if you go read their catechism, it'll say it's better if you do full immersion. This is Roman Catholics talking. It's better to do full immersion because the symbolism is more powerful. You're going all the way under the water. And you're coming, you're dying, and you're coming back up to this new life. And that's what, that's the context in which Paul is speaking in this. And this death is, is a death to our own self-centeredness, really. And uh, St. Augustine, writing back in the 5th century, says, he says that this death and this life both are related to God's love in our, in our world. He says this love, this deep love, is what kills our self-centeredness. And this deep love is what makes us alive. But we get this idea that there's this death, but then there's also this life that we come out of. And just listen to a couple of the passages today from um, Colossians 3. You've been raised with Christ. You're not dead anymore. You've been raised with Christ in verse 1. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, verse 3. It's Christ who is your life in verse 4. This idea that, that we're alive, we're hidden. And the Greeks at the time, when somebody died, and the, the, sort of the Greek way of thinking at the time was you were hidden in the, in the earth when you were put in the grave. 
And so Paul is, it's suggested, making an implicit contrast saying, we're not hidden in the earth, we're hidden in Christ. We die, but it's different. We're being hidden in, in who he is. And that's going to kind of be a theme of, of where we go in all this. And elsewhere, Paul is going to say it in different ways. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he talks about when we're in Christ that we're new creatures. There's a new beginning. There's a new start. There's a new way. That's, all this stuff is new. And when we go to that place and we go to this new creature kind of way of being, we have a new set of priorities. We have a new focus that we're meant to have. And again, our um, passage today is going to talk about that. It's going to, he's right at the start of it. He's going to say, seek the things that are above. That wasn't clear enough about where your, where your focus is. He says it more clearly in the next verse. Set your minds on the things that are above. Like, don't just wander around or don't be just thinking about earthly things. He wants us to focus on the things that are above. And to go back and quote another one of the early folks in the church, St. John Chrysostom, says that what Paul is really inviting us to do is to live on a different plane. He's inviting us to mentally, spiritually be walking with Jesus and putting our minds with where he is and what he wants. And it's really not that the suggestion here is not that we're going to withdraw from the world in some way. Like we're going to, you know, you hear the expression, he's got his heads in the clouds or whatever. It's not that kind of thing. It's not a withdraw your heads in the cloud. It's engaging this world incarnationally, engaging this world with this new set of priorities and focus. And the hard part about this is it involves an ongoing surrender on our part. This is back to the prayers we say that we just forget, that we just, we bleed over these words and don't even think about them. But your will be done. Your will be done. The one we say every week, your will be done. That's part of it. Or St. Francis's prayer, make me an instrument. Use me as an instrument. Or John Wesley's prayer, um, I give my life to you again today, that he would say every day. It's this kind of surrender. And when we go to those places and we start to surrender and we start to think about having these priorities of this, other, of this heavenly place, of this kingdom or whatever, it's going to change how we see the world. Our focus is in a different place. And it changes how we view things. We view success differently. We view our priorities and our, all this differently. We think about Matthew 6, where, where Jesus is talking about all these things we worry about how we're going to eat and dress and all our material stuff. And he's like, don't worry about that. Put the kingdom first. All these other things will work their, work their way out. It's a different way of seeing the world. Or 1 Peter 4 saying that we Christians ought to be fervent in our love for one another. How many of you have, are in a business where you open up your business manual and it says be fervent in love for one another? It just, it, it's just a different way of seeing the world. We're meant to be fervent in love for one another. And we're meant to, the hardest part about all this is we're wired. And, you know, I won't go into all the theology of what we're talking about on this, but we're, we come to the world self-centered. And it's natural, right? You think about it, though, your windshield is always you at the center. Your windshield is like whatever story you're going to tell, you're at the middle of it. It's what you're seeing at your dashboard. It's all about you. It's all this. And there's fundamentally a shift of saying it's not all about you. It's all about what God wants for you, in and through you. 
And as he's going to say at the very final words of our reading, that Jesus is in all and is all. You know, that it's, it's all about him. And it's a, it's a shifting. And I don't know if you remember a, a number of years ago, there was this big movement. You used to see billboards around Dallas that said, I am second. People would wear these bracelets. It was, it was going at this. This fundamental shift, the very first move of it is to push us off the throne of our own lives and to put God in that place. And we begin to live in that place and it's different. And we view success differently from there. It's not about what we achieve for ourselves. It's about how we're used by God. And I always think about, um, I think it's Bishop Ansgar. You may correct me on this, but it, this, this missionary we had that went to the Scandinavian countries, I think he spent like his whole career there with like five converts or something. And then, the, and then as soon as he dies, they all went back to being pagans. And then the next, and then the next generation, Christianity um, bloomed. And I think, you know, some people would look at that guy and say he was a failure, but he was doing what God meant for him to do. He, he was a success because it's measured differently. It's not about how much money you make or whatever, all this other stuff. It's about just being faithful to the, the call God puts in your life. And it's, again, a different way of seeing things. Put your minds on the things that are above. It's not about getting. It's more about giving. It's not about holding on to your rights all the time, but about forgiveness. It's just a very different pivot and way of living. And it brings a lot of fruit in other ways. Well, I'll say more about that in a bit, but it's, it's, a, it's this fundamental shift. And part of it is that it's this ongoing process that we engage in. It's wrapped in, it's wrapped in grace. It's, it's about grace. It's an ongoing thing where we keep working on it. But it's a mistake. to On either pole of this, it's a mistake. If you think it's all about grace to the, to the, to the place where you think, it is all about grace, I'll be clear. But if you get to where you're holding on to that, to where you think, oh, I don't need to do anything, I think there's something that's been missed. And if you go to the other stream, it's a heresy we won't, we won't label or talk about, but it is in the ancient church a heresy of saying, I can do it all myself spiritually. I can make myself the way I need to be. It's not that either. But it's a mistake, to, I think, to go to either ends. Because it's all about grace, but listen to the verbs that Paul uses today. Paul is about motivating us and, and teaching us that you've got to lean into this thing. Listen, just listen to the verbs. Seek, set, put to death, get rid of, do not lie, clothe yourself. I mean, like, we've got to show up on this thing. It's not, it is grace. It's wrapped in grace. It's about grace. But we've got to show up. And sometimes I'm around people who are like, you know, I meet with all kinds of people, and I get people to say, yeah, I tried that Christian thing. It doesn't really do anything for me. And one of my first questions is, what, is, what does it mean you tried it? Did you ever surrender? Did you ever say for the next month I'm going to live as if I'm second? Did you ever lean into that, this kind of stuff? Or did you just say a couple of prayers seeing if God would fulfill your will? That happens all the time. And it's a, very, it's a fundamentally different, different place. Paul goes on in this passage today to talk about some of the stuff we do, right? Because part of what he's going to say is you need to put to death certain things in your life and you need to put on certain things. He's giving us um, stuff to do. And um, in, in verse 5, he's saying, put to death whatever in you is earthly. He wants us to be active in putting down these things that, and he's not saying this in some, I'm going to say more about this in a minute. He's not saying it just 
to give us some kind of raw legalistic thing. What he wants is there are things that will pull you away from God. He wants you to push those things out. It's not just legalism. It's not just some code of conduct for conduct. It's ultimately meant to be something else. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But he wants that to get out of the way. Out of the way. And I think a modern way we would say this is we've got to push away our self-centeredness and seek something else. And Christianity is not the only one that would say that. Basically, every religion in the world will say that. It's not about you. It's something else that needs to go in that place. Push that, that centeredness away. One commentator on this says, the man whose life is dominated by the desire to get things has set things up in the place of God. And that's precisely what idolatry is. This idea that all these other things can become our thing that we worship. He goes on. I'm not gonna, we don't have time and I'm not going to go drill down on all these things. But he gives us lo- two different lists in this passage today saying, here's what you need to put off. And he lists all these things out. I think probably the most potent one for our age in Dallas is the greed one. And our gospel lesson today goes right into that place as well. Because if we try to make things what we're about, we're going to live a messed up life. You may think that's what it's about, but it'll lead us into just empty, empty places. And we've got to be reminded of that. Part of the reason we meet on Sundays is to worship and be open to God, but to collectively put our heads back together and remind one another, let's focus on the things that are above and let's live with a different set of priorities and a different set of um, a different way of living. Now, I feel adamant anytime I get to one of Paul's lists about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I feel really, really strongly that I've got to just pause and say how strongly I feel that we're not about legalism. We're not a, a church or a people who are about saying, don't do this. Let me tell you about these things. Don't do, don't do. Because it's not meant to be about that. We're not trying to hold up some code as if this is what it's about. But all these things can pull you away from a meaningful relationship with God. It can pull you away. What really ultimately matters is walking with God in His love and mercy and grace in a relationship. That's what ultimately matters. And when you get caught up in legalism, it can eat you alive. It can rob you of joy. It can make you feel guilty and live with that and all this other stuff. And that's not at all what we tend. And if you ever get to that place, my encouragement to you is to go back to Luke and read the prodigal son again and put yourself as the prodigal son who's done all that stuff and then see the embrace of the father running out in joy, saying, let's throw a party, put a ring and a robe on, all this stuff. Because it's not about getting all that stuff right. It's about living with the father and experiencing his embrace. And I will... I quote it all the time. I'm going to quote it again now. I'm going to quote it again probably next week. I love the way St. Augustine always says, love God and do as you please. Because that's what it's about. It's about this relationship piece. And then your conduct in life will follow from that. You're going you're gonna to be open to the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to mold you and lead you in all kinds of ways that you don't predict and you don't know. And that's where it's going to go. Well, he, he doesn't just say put off all this stuff. Um, Paul also says to put on, like to clothe yourselves in, in all these different ways as well. We want to put on these things that were, were marked by love, all these different things that we mentioned. And the truth is, this is an ongoing process. It's gonna, we start sometimes in small ways. Some people start in big ways. 
But you're always going to be on this journey with ebbs and flows where God is going to lead you more and more into his likeness. More and more to have the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. All those things more and more. But when we round that corner and you put yourself off the throne and you put God on it, you're going to look different from the get go. I'm going to read one passage because I'm going to give him some hard things to say that I don't want to say. But William Barclay, the great commentator, he says this about the change. When you really change, he says this. And this is, he's writing, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So forgive the masculine language. I'm not going to try to interpret it. But he says, when a man becomes a Christian, there ought to be a complete change in his personality. He puts off his old self. He puts on the new self. Just as a candidate for baptism puts off his old clothes. And what he's referring to in, in the ancient church they would oftentimes go down into the waters of baptism in the nude, come up, put on a white robe, new name, and go into a new life. So it's what he's talking about. He says, just as a candidate for baptism puts off his old clothes, puts on the new white robe, we very often evade the truth of which the New Testament insists. That Christianity, was, which does not change a man, is most imperfect. Further, the change is progressive. The new creation is a continual renewal. It makes a man grow continually in grace and knowledge until he reaches that which he's meant to be, a manhood in the image of God. It's a, it's a lifelong image. It's a lifelong journey that we keep, we keep going into that place. And there, there are two bits I want to end with. Um, when we set our minds on the things that are above, when we put God on that throne, when we lean into it and we have this change that William Barclay talks about, it begins to bear results in our lives. And they're, they're, I think it puts us on a different plane, the way St. Chrysostom talked about it. I think we find more of God's peace, more love, more satisfaction in life. I think it's all of that. But there are some practical things that Paul ends this passage with. When we live in that place, the barriers come down. And the ones he mentions at the end of this, when he talks about all those things, about Greeks and barbarians and Scythians and all that stuff, he's saying the barriers of nationality come down. The barriers of cultured and uncultured come down. The barriers of ritual stuff, the circumcised and the uncircumcised come down. And we think, oh, in our political correct age, we may think, oh, well, of course. It was not that way when he wrote this, I'll assure you, right? It was not that way. It was a hu- these were huge barriers. And Paul is saying all that stuff comes down. We're all loved by God. We all have the dignity of, of every person. These are the kinds of things that happen when we live in this different kind of place with our minds focused on above. It'll change us and it'll affect the people around us. I admonish you, encourage you to think this week about where you are on this and, your, and where your focus is because it'll change you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we ask, um, we, we thank you that you love us, that you reach out to us, that you know us by name and that you call us on this journey to put you at the head of the pack, um, to follow you and to seek the things you want. And Lord, in our brokenness, that's not what we want sometimes. Help us by your grace to put you there and to receive from you and to follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.